On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Now, as you've been hearing in the news in the last couple of days, and there's a few bits and pieces written in today's papers about it as well, the Supreme Court handed down a long-awaited ruling on Friday about whether it's possible for the Irish government to ratify CETA, that is the technical name for a proposed trade deal between the EU and Canada. It ruled by a majority of four to three that would be currently unconstitutional for Ireland to ratify that deal, but it also ruled by a majority of six to one that Ireland could ratify the deal if it just changed other parts of its law without necessarily having to change the Irish constitution. The person who brought the case is a Green Party TD for Dublin South Central well currently an independent TD but maybe a Green Party TD again in the next couple of days we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes but Patrick Costello uh, is with me in studio um, Patrick thanks very much for coming in um, you've had uh, two days now to read over the 500 pages of jurisprudence that the Supreme Court handed to you on Friday are you any closer to understanding why it is that it would be currently unconstitutional to do something but that we could do it without changing the constitution if we did other things um, well, look, before we get into that, let me just start by saying I'm really grateful to to all seven judges of the Supreme Court who wrote, all of them who wrote a decision. I think I should also, I also want to say thank you to Judge Butler and the High Court. I think we're very lucky in this country to have a dedicated, independent judiciary. Um, and I think this case really shows that. You know, I guess for my, for my part... I was very concerned in relation to the ICF, the, the court element, these creating yeah. these new courts under CETA. So CETA has trade elements that are already in place mm. that we're They've already been getting. applied for about mm. five years or so. Yeah. And we're already getting the benefits of them. So, you know, this isn't about trade. This is about these new investor courts that multinationals can use to sue the Irish government simply for passing progressive legislation, whether that's in the area of environment or workers' rights or even, say, housing, rent controls, things like okay, that. Okay, but just put some but, more meat in the bones for this because I understand that this is this may be a story that's gone over a lot of people's heads for the last 48 hours because they weren't aware of this, this nature of, of dispute settlement or how all this works. So... This is a, a feature within the treaty whereby if a company feels like its ability to trade has been somehow impeded by a new law in one jurisdiction, that they effectively have the power then to, to sue that jurisdiction for the losses. Yes, so that's that's the, a perfect example of it. And like, look, we, there are there are plenty of uh, investor courts around the world. And, you know, I'll give a couple of examples close to home. Holland has been sued for billions because it tried to stop burning coal to address climate change. Italy was sued... Um, for trying to stop burning oil. Uh, Australia's uh, packaging and cigarette rules were challenged in investor courts. My counsel presented to the court an example of a case in Colombia where a mining, the, the government introduced a ban on mining in a particular park because of the um, environmental concerns. And the investor court said, fine, you can make that regulation, but you must pay compensation of billions to this mining company. So it introduces then a a regulatory chill. Sure, the government can go ahead and pass that law, Mm. but it's going to cost you billions. And that's a fact, you know, that's the impact that these courts have. And it's not just that, but these courts are, like our own courts, are accountable to, through the constitution in a variety of ways. These courts aren't. They're outside, beyond our constitution. There's no democratic control over them. Mm. They're they're very opaque. And that's a huge, huge problem mm. in terms of, of access to yeah. justice. And, and this is why you decided to instigate that case and brought it to the High Court and ultimately to the Supreme Court because it was your belief, which has been sort of indicated by the court since, that this would be the, the handing over of sovereignty without there being any kind of public oversight to approve it. 
Exactly. Well, the handing of the handing over of sovereignty and the undermining of our court's independence and position without the consent of the people. Okay. So we have set up extra territorial court, uh, courts, overseas courts before. Yeah, we've set up the courts of justice of the European Union. Mm. Um, you know, and I voted in favour of most of those European treaties. We have set up the International Criminal Court for war crimes. Mm-hmm. And again, that was put to a referendum of the people. So for me, it was a question of, if we are setting up this new court outside of the Constitution, why are we not voting on it? Why is it not a okay. referendum? Uh, is your concern largely about that or would it be about the ability of the state then to legislate for environmental stuff? So, you know, the concern would be hypothetically that if these investor courts or these investor or resolution tribunals as they might be characterised, if they were in place that it would stop the state from being able to limit uh, the sales of certain pollutants, for example, because then the, the, the people who produce them could sue for loss of earnings. But is, is that the major concern or is it more about the principle of a new court without supervision in the first place? Well, it's both. It's both. So there was there was the concern about the process, the how we do this, the the, the setting up a new court without a referendum. Mm. But equally, there's the very nature of these courts. These the nature of these courts are essentially a threat to the government's ability to regulate and the government's ability to pass progressive legislation. Mm. And again, it's <clears throat> not just environmental issues. Mm. For example, so a huge there? number, a huge number of real estate investment trusts in this country are run by Canadian companies. So if we were to try and introduce rent controls, for example, they could potentially sue. Okay. Um, and introducing workers' rights, could new workers' rights could be would cause us to be sued okay you know and i think it's important to say as well that if we look at where these kind of courts exist most countries are doing their best to get out of them the new australian government set up in their department of foreign affairs a special unit solely dedicated to removing australia from investor courts when the north america free trade agreement was being renegotiated between america canada and mexico the newest generation of it removed the investor courts. So when the world is moving away from these courts, I really don't understand okay. why we would want to sign up for them. Okay, um, uh, this uh, sets you down a bit of a rabbit hole of what exactly CETA means and what it means in certain uh, jurisdictions and also what the, what the Green Party's actual stance on this is and I'll come back to that in a couple of minutes. But um, when the EU and Canada um, signed off on CETA back in tw- 2017, I think is when they originally put signatures to it, they also signed uh, what they call a joint interpretive instrument, which I think basically means a cover sheet is what they believe that the following document actually means. And they said in that that CETA preserves the ability of the European Union and its member states and of Canada to adopt and apply their own laws and regulations that regulate economic activity in the public interest to achieve legitimate public policy objectives, such as the protection and promotion of public health, social services, public education, safety, the environment, public morals, social or consumer protection, privacy and data protection, and the promotion and protection of cultural diversity. If you take that at face value, and that's a verbatim paragraph, it seems like the EU and Canada both believe, and seem to be on the same page, in believing that this does nothing to stop them from passing any progressive legislation like you've outlined. But the interpretation of that was done, would be done by the CETA Joint Committee, which is, you know, an a unaccountable, unelected, opaque body, um, and would be ruled on 
by these investor courts that are opaque, mm. uh, unaccountable bodies that are set up for the benefit of multinational companies, not for the benefit of governments. But, but, but if a body is set up by the EU and Canada and the EU and Canada already have it in black and white, this is what their understanding of the treaty is. It seems very unlikely that they would then set up a new disputes re- resolution body that has a completely different understanding of it. But I, But the... We see in courts here as well that the the understanding of things change over time. The interpretation of things change over time. Mm. You know, you are ha- you are entrusting this new body to continue on with that. Mm. And you know, Germany has already the German government has already got some changes and proposed some changes to that agreement, which are being discussed at an EU level, and then will go to the CETA Joint Committee. So you know, the CETA Joint Committee is already free to reinterpret that to make those okay. decisions. So, so your and argument then is that this, this cover page isn't really binding on anybody; that it still could change in the fullness of time. That's partly the issue, but also the the Eco Oro decision, the one from Colombia I, I was talking about earlier. The decision in that from the course from the ICS there was you're free to regulate, but we're still going to make you pay compensation. Okay, so your argument would be that this paragraph says you can still legislate whatever way you like, but it doesn't exclude the prospect of you having to pay damages for someone who is inconvenienced by your move. Exactly. Okay. You know, and so when it comes to to the the, the prospect of billions in fines being organ being being coming from these courts, no government's going to make that choice. Okay. Um I started out with a somewhat cerebral question, which is, have you yet figured out why it's the case that something is unconstitutional now, but could be permissible if you just change the law? Um, Leo Varadkar announced in in the wake of the ruling on Friday that it was still his desire or his belief that the government should ratify CETA and that it would amend whatever other laws it needs to do because it believes that this is something of a commercial imperative. What do you make of that? Well, without getting without getting too cerebral, you know, there are plenty of times when the Supreme Court will make a decision that something is unconstitutional and a quick legislative fix can change that. Yeah. Um this I don't believe is that. It's really, not a quick fix. I don't believe it'll be a quick fix because I think that, you know, if you read through the judgments they are very dense they're very complex there's lots of moving parts to these and we're dealing with huge issues of international trade and international treaties and if we are to 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 amend the law here to make the ratifying this agreement in the dual constitutional yeah that amendment may have knock-on consequences or may not even be possible under the terms of CETA or whatever treaty is there. So it's... it's And the thing is... There so basically the, the, the quick fix that the government might like to pursue for this could end up being a quick uh, error or a quick... quick unfix, it, well, it, it quick, may quick not... mistake for something else. It may not... Exactly. Or it may not be possible under the rules of the agreement that we're trying to ratify. And this is this okay. was the, the, the point in by Mr. Justice Charlton in his dissent. Yeah. You know, and I think we need to to you take our time to think through any proposed amendments very carefully yeah. and the consequences of them and the knock on things and take it slowly to get it right. And while we are using that time, we should also be thinking about is 
are investor courts something we actually want to be a part of? As I say, mm. most of the world that is already in investor courts is doing their best to get out of them. So I don't see why this is something we really want to sign up to mm. now. And in terms of being beneficial for trade, the trade benefits are already there. There's been provisional implementation. Yeah. We're already getting the benefits of trade. The Canadians are already getting the benefit of the trade and they can continue. And I think, you know, th- it's very so important. You, you to think we could continue on in this kind of halfway house where you have it provisionally applied and everyone gets the trading benefit, but you can just park this question of dispute resolution for as I long believe as you need that to. we can because we've been able to implement these without having the treaty fully ratified. Okay. You know, and we can continue them on without having the treaty being fully uh, ratified. Speaking of cerebral questions, and this maybe shouldn't be cerebral, but it kind of is, is germane to all of this. Is it, what is the Green Party's position on CETA? Because I know before the Dáil intended to ratify this deal after only 45 or 50 minutes of debate in December of 2020, it had already been signed off by the government, including by the three members of the Green Party who were there. And there seems to be lots of differing opinions as to whether the Green Party's previous opposition to CETA still holds or not. Well, I believe that it is a Green Party opposite, uh, a Green Party policy to be opposed to CETA, and I think you see that in the groundswell of support from members that I had. There is the unfortunate thing where, when you are in coalition with another party or two other parties, not all of your policies can be implemented and that there is a give and take and that we are getting many of our policies through in the face of opposition from members of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael mm. as they are too. So I think they're, they're, this is tie, the issue of CETA and Green Party policy is unfortunately very tied up in the, the internal politics of coalition that any party yeah. that is in coalition has to struggle with. So you believe that it is Green Party policy to oppose CETA, but then the coalition's policy is something different and that that's where the tension is? Yes. Okay. Um, you mentioned um, the your concern that the interpretation of CETA today might not be the interpretation forevermore and that's what gives rise to uncertainty. That sounds very like some of the arguments that were made around the time that you left the Green Parliamentary Party because you had some concerns that everyone's understanding of the deal about the paternity hospital as now may not be the understanding years hence. Your six month suspension is due to lapse this coming Friday, I think. Do you know even what the process is for, for getting back in? Do you have to apply? Is it automated or what happens there? Um, it's not automated. We have to uh, uh, apply in writing to the parliamentary party and it's up to them to decide whether we come back or not. Uh, there's some conversation still happening about the process there once we have written in and applied to them and the the decision making process the parliamentary party would use mm. um so you're not even totally sure again with many cerebral questions you're not even totally sure what the path is back into the party that presumably wants you back and that you want to be back in the first we're very clear that the first step was myself and NASA will write in. It's okay. the decision making process behind that. Right. So myself and NASA had had been seeking some clarity and um I we do have I did get a reply from the whip, but I haven't had a chance okay. to, to work uh, through it yet. One texter says the media hasn't given enough attention to the CETA deal. Well done to this politician for taking his case. And John Inackle says, please congratulate Patrick on his wonderful foresight in taking this case and how it was so very important in the public interest. In hindsight, how do you feel about the fact that this was likely to have gone through after just 45 or 50 minutes of debate in the Dáil Chamber? And now it's been the subject of 500 pages of Supreme Court jurisprudence and is going to have to be studied for a long time to come. It does raise some alarm bells, doesn't it? I, 
there's there is there's a lot of things that we deal with very quickly in Leinster House and I think there are many things that could benefit from extra debate and this was definitely one of them and you can see that uh, there was extra time for debate made there was uh, space on the European uh, Affairs Committee to address it and um, my understanding was yeah. the Budgetary Oversight Committee wanted to address it mm. as well I think the European other- Affairs Committee did look at it and then it was deadlocked 7-7 including <laughs> poetically enough with a uh, split within your own party colleagues about it which tells you an awful <laughs> yeah. lot uh, the Justice Committee considered looking at it but uh, we felt as it was sub say as it was before the courts yeah. we, we would leave the answer to the courts yeah. Um but no, I, th- I think one of the things is, one of the things is that there are, there are two questions here. There's the how we should ratify it. Um, do we do it by a vote? Do we do mm. it by a referendum? And that was what my legal challenge mm. was on. You still then there, should... was, there was a second question, which was, should we ratify it? Is it good policy? Yeah. Is this a good thing for Ireland or is it a threat to Ireland? And that's the, that's the political question yeah, and, and that's and what we were debating. And it's probably a debate that hasn't really happened in fullness. Yeah. I would agree with do, that. Do yeah. you still think there should be, even though the court says that it's not nece- nece- necessary for this, do you still think there should be a referendum on this? I think that is the best way forward. I think that there's strong precedent in terms of the time we set up the Court of Appeal, the time we set up the international, signed up for the International Criminal Court in relation to the Courts of Justice of mm. the European Union. Um, the government has said it will need a referendum in terms of the Unified Patent Court. You know, these are positive courts and I think that we were right to sign up to them. But equally, there was a debate in the public about the nature of our court system and the nature of justice in this country. Mm. And I think for me, one of the big things here is about the integrity of the courts and and supporting that. And we've seen, we've seen, as I said at the start, the benefit of having a dedicated independent judiciary. And we're very lucky to have that in this country. And I think, you know, there are things we should be doing to support that. I'm the Green Party spokesperson for justice. I've spoken a lot about uh, improving legal aid, about needing more judges, about improving access to justice. But we are very lucky Mm. when we look around the world. Um, I suspect I know the answer to this question uh, and it's quite unlikely but any chance that you've spoken to Leo Varadkar in the last 48 hours because he was pretty unsympathetic about you taking this case he said that you challenging ostensibly your own government was worse than voting against uh, your coalition in the Dáil he also suggested that you should be made to pay the costs if you weren't successful Uh, No I haven't had a chance to talk to him What would you like to say to him if he was listening this lunchtime? Well look I think I think this is a very difficult question. This is uh, cuts to the heart of a lot of things he wants to achieve as Taoiseach when he comes back as Taoiseach. And I think that, you know, myself and himself disagree uh, on issues around investor courts. Mm. And I can completely understand uh, uh, those policy disagreements. But I think, you know, we need to look at, as I say, there were two questions here, the should we, which is, and, and the how do we do that? And it was, it was that how yeah. that I had brought to the courts. And I think it is important to know everything that we are doing is within the bounds of the Constitution. And I think that's, that's, mm. a, that's why the courts are there. Um, I know um, after court, and I'll let you go in just a minute, but I know after court on Friday, you were reluctant to talk too much about the costs issue because it is still to be determined. The court has said that it wants to award costs in your favour, but it's given both sides a week to make any submissions if they have an issue with that. Um, so obviously it's still a matter which is before the courts. But I imagine that 
bringing a full case before the High Court and having full hearings and then full hearings in the Supreme Court and the briefing fees and everything else that goes with it means that financially speaking, there's a lot on the line for you here. And I think that speaks to the wider context of why we need uh, to ensure access to justice, effective access to justice. There was a huge risk. I took a huge risk, yes, in terms of the costs. And not everybody... Six, six figures? More? Not everybody is in a position to take such risks. And I think that there's been a, there has been a lot of talk. I think um, the four retired Chief Justice Frank Clark has yeah. spoken a lot about the need to improve access to justice. The current Chief Justice has as well. Um, there have been recent comments around uh, costs impeding environmental justice and our obligations under the Our House Convention. So I think there's a wider co- uh, conversation here about ensuring access to justice and ensuring that those independent courts that I've spoken so highly of are available to everybody and not mm. just the few. Yeah, well, that is the one thing that I suspect that everyone will be able to agree with. And um, thanks very much for coming in this lunchtime and thanks for being so generous uh, with your time. That's Patrick Costello, who is um, soon to once again be, once they can figure out the process, I presume, uh, the Green Party TD uh, for Dublin South Central. On the record with Gavin Riley. Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. On News Talk.